The Banks of Y, a poem, in four books, by Robert Bloomfield, author of The Farmer's Boy. London, printed for the author, Werner, Hood, and Sharp, Poultry, and Longman, Hurst, Rees, Orm, and Brown, Paternoster Row. 1811. Printed by T. Hood and Company, S.T. John Square, London. To Thomas Lloyd Baker, Yescue of Stouts Hill, Uly, and His Excellent Lady, and Robert Bransby Cooper, Yescue of Furwy Hill, Dusley, in the county of Gloucester, and all the members of his family, this journal is dedicated, with sentiments of high esteem, and a lively recollection of past pleasures, by their humble servant, the author. Preface In the summer of 1807, a party of my good friends in Gloucestershire proposed to themselves a short excursion down the Wye, and through part of South Wales. While this plan was in agitation, the lines which I had composed on Shooter's Hill, during ill health, and inserted in my last volume, obtained their particular attention. A spirit of prediction, as well as sorrow, is there indulged, and it was now in the power of this happy party to falsify such predictions, and to render a pleasure to the writer of no common kind. An invitation to accompany them was the consequence, and the following journal is the result of that invitation. Should the reader, from being a resident, or frequent visitor, be well acquainted with the route, and able to discover inaccuracies in distances, succession of objects, or local particulars, he is requested to recollect that the party was out but ten days, a period much too short for correct and laborious description, but quite sufficient for all the powers of poetry which I feel capable of exerting. The whole exhibits the language and feelings of a man who had never before seen a mountainous country, and of this it is highly necessary that the reader should be apprised. A Swiss, or perhaps a Scottish Highlander, may smile at supposed or real exaggerations, but they will be excellent critics, when they call to mind that they themselves judge, in these cases, as I do, by comparison. Perhaps it may be said, that because much of public approbation has fallen to my lot, it was unwise to venture again. I confess that the journey left such powerful, such unconquerable impressions on my mind, that embodying my thoughts in rhyme became a matter almost of necessity. To the parties concerned I know it will be an acceptable little volume, to whom, and to the public, it is submitted with due respect. Robert Bloomfield. City Road, London. June 30, 1811. The Banks of Y. Book I. Contents of Book I. The Vale of Uli. Forest of Dean. Ross. Wilton Castle. Goodrich Castle. Courtfield, Welch Bickner, Coldwell. Gleaner Song. Coldwell Rocks. Simmons Yad. Great Doward. New Weird. Arthur's Hall. Martin's Well. The Coracle. Arrival at Monmouth. The Banks of the Wye. Book One. Rouse from thy slumber, pleasure calls, arise, quit thy half rural bower, a while despise the thraldom that consumes thee. We who dwell far from thy land of smoke, advise thee well. Here nature's bounteous hand around shall fling, scenes that thy muse hath never dared to sing. When sickness weighed thee down, and strength declined, when dread eternity absorbed thy mind, flowed the predicting verse, by gloom o'erspread, that Cambrian mountains thou shouldst never tread, that time-worn cliff, and classic stream to see, was wealth's prerogative, despair for thee. Come to the proof, with us the breeze inhale, renounce despair, and come to Severn's vale, 
and where the Cotswold hills are stretched along, seek our green dell, as yet unknown to song, start hence with us, and trace, with raptured eye, the wild meanderings of the beauteous why. Thy ten days leisure ten days joy shall prove, and rock and stream breathe amity and love. Such was the call, with instant ardor hailed. The siren pleasure caroled and prevailed. Soon the deep dell appeared, and the clear brow of Uli Berry, a, smilled o'er all below, footnote a, Berry, or Berg, the Saxon name for a hill, particularly for one wholly or partially formed by art, mansion, and flock, and circling woods that hung round the sweet pastures where the skylark sung. Oh, for the fancy, vigorous and sublime, chaste as the theme, to triumph over time, bright as the rising day, and firm as truth, to speak new transports to the lowland youth, that bosom still might throb, and still adore, when his who strives to charm them beats no more. One August morn, with spirits high, sound health, bright hopes, and cloudless sky, a cheerful group their farewell bade to Disley Tower, to Yulee's shade, and where bold Stinchcomb's greenwood side. Heaves in the van of highland pride, scoured the broad vale of Severn. There the foes of verse shall never dare genius to scorn, or bound its power, their blood-stained Berkeley's turrets lower, a name that cannot pass away, till time forgets, the bard of grey. Quitting fair Gloucester's northern road, to gain the pass of Frainload, before us Dean's black forest spread, and May Hill, with his tufted head, beyond the ebbing tide appeared, and Cambria's distant mountains reared their dark blue summits far away, and Severn, midst the burning day, curved his bright line, and bore along the mingled Avon, pride of song. The trembling steeds soon ferried o'er, nate loud upon the forest shore, domains that once, at early morn, rang to the hunter's bugle horn, when barons proud would bound away, when even kings would hail the day, and swell with pomp more glorious shows, than anthill population knows. Here crested chiefs their bright-armed train of javelin horsemen roused the main, and chasing wide the wolf or boar, bade the deep woodland valleys roar. Harmless we passed, and unassailed, nor once at roads or tumpikes railed, through depths of shade off sunbeams broke, midst noble Flaxley's bowers of oak, and many a cottage trim and gay, whispered delight through all the way, on hills exposed, and dells unseen, to patriarchal Mitchell Dean. Rose-cheeked Pomona there was seen, and Ceres edg'd her fields between, and on each hilltop mounted high, her sickle waved in ecstasy, till Ross, by charms all hearts confess thy peaceful walks, thy hours of rest and contemplation. Here the mind, with all its luggage left behind, dame affectations leaden wares, spleen, envy, pride, life's thousand cares, feels all its dormant fires revive, and sees. The man of Ross, alive, and hears the twig nambard again, to KYRL's high virtues lift his strain, whose own hand clothed this far-fanned hill with reverend elms, that shade us still, whose emiumry shall survive the day, when elms and empires feel decay. KYRL die, by bard ennobled? Never. The man of Ross, shall live forever, Ross, that exalts its spire on high, above the flowery margin Y, scene of the morrow's joy, that pressed its unseen beauties on our rest and dreams. But who of dreams would tell, where truth sustains the song so well? The morrow came, and beauty's eye ne'er beamed upon a lovelier sky, imagination instant brought, and dashed amidst the train of thought, tints of the bow. The boatman stripped, glee at the helm exulting tripped, and weighed her flower-encircled wand. 
away, away, to fairyland. Light dipped the oars, but who can name the various objects dear to fame, that changing, doubting, wild, and strong, demand the noblest powers of song? Then, oh forgive the vagrant muse, ye who the sweets of nature choose, and thou whom destiny has tied to this romantic riverside, down gazing from each close retreat, on boats that glide beneath thy feet, forgive the stranger's meager line, that seems to slight that spot of thine, for he, alas, could only glean the changeful outlines of the scene, a momentary bliss, and here links memory's power with rapture's tear. Who curbed the baron's kingly power, eh? Footnote A. Henry the Seventh gave an irrevocable blow to the dangerous privileges assumed by the barons, in abolishing liveries and retainers, by which every malefactor could shelter himself from the law, on assuming a nobleman's livery, and attending his person. And as a finishing stroke to the feudal tenures, an act was passed, by which the barons and gentlemen of landed interest were at liberty to sell and mortgage their lands, without fines or licenses for the alienation. Let history tell that fateful hour at home, when surly winds shall roar, and prudence shut the study door. De Wilton's here of mighty name, the whelming flood, the summer stream, marked from their towers dot, the fabric falls, the rubbish of their splendid halls, time in his march hath scattered wide, and blank oblivion strives to hide. A while the grazing herd was seen, and trembling willows silver green, till the fantastic current stood, in line direct for Pencraig wood whose bold green summit welcome bade, then reared behind his nodding shade. Here, as the light boat schemed along, the clarionet, and chosen song, that mellow, wild, Eolian lay. Sweet in the woodlands, rolled away, in echoes down the stream, that bore each dying close to every shore, and forward cape, and woody range, that formed the never-ceasing change, to him who floating, void of care, twirls with the stream, he knows not where, till bold, impressive, and sublime, gleamed all that's left by storms and time of good rich towers. The moldering pile tells noble truths, but dies the while, o'er the steep path, through brake and briar, his battered turrets still aspire, in rude magnificence. Twas here Lancastrian Henry spread his cheer, when came the news that hell was born, and Monmouth hailed th auspicious morn, a boy in sports, a prince in war, wisdom and valor crowned his car, of France the terror, England's glory, as Stratford's bard has told the story. No butler's proxies snore supine, where the old monarch kept his wine, no welchocks roasting, horns and all, adorns his thronged and laughing hall. But where he prayed, and told his beads, a thriving ash luxuriant spreads. No wheels by piecemeal brought the pile, no barks emboweled Portland Isle. Dig, cried experience, dig away, bring the firm quarry into day, the excavation still shall save those ramparts which its entrails gave. Here kings shall dwell, the builders cried. Here England's foes shall lower their pride. Hither shall suppliant nobles come, and this be England's royal home. Vain hope, for on the Gwentian shore the regal banner streams no more. Nettles and vilest weeds that grow, to mock poor grandeur's head laid low, creep round the turret's valor rised, and flaunt where youth and beauty gazed. Here fain would strangers loiter long, and muse as fancy's woof grows strong, yet cold the heart that could complain, where Pollitt, footnote, the boatman, struck his oars again, for lovely as the sleeping child, the stream glides on sublimely wild, in perfect beauty, perfect ease, the awning trembled in the breeze, and scarcely trembled, 
as we stood for Ruardian Spire and Bishop's Wood. The fair domains of Courtfield, a, made a paradise of mingled shade, footnote a, a seat belonging to the family of Vaughan, which is not unnoticed in the pages of history. According to tradition, it is the place where Henry V was nursed, under the care of the Countess of Salisbury, from which circumstance the original name of Greyfield is said to have been changed to Courtfield. This is probably an erroneous tradition, for court was a common name for a manor house, where the lord of the manor held his court dot, Cors Monmouth, round Bickner's tiny church, that cowers beneath his host of woodland bowers. But who the charm of words shall fling, o'er raven cliff and coldwell spring, to brighten the unconscious eye, and wake the soul to ecstasy? Noon scorched the fields, the boat lay to, the dripping oars had not to do, where round us rose a scene that might enchant an idiot, glorious sight. Here, in one gay according mind, upon the sparkling stream we dinned, as shepherds free on mountain heath, free as the fish that watched beneath for falling crumbs, where cooling lay the wine that cheered us on our way. Th unruffled bosom of the stream, gave every tint and every gleam, gave shadowy rocks, and clear blue sky, and double clouds of various dye, gave dark green woods, or russet brown, and pendant cornfields, upside down. A troop of gleaners charmed their shade, and twas a change by music made, for slowly to the brink they drew, to mark our joy, and share it too. How oft, in childhood's flowery days, I've heard the wild impassioned lays of such a group, lays strange and new, and thought, was ever song so true? When from the hazel's cool retreat, they watched the summer's trembling heat, and through the boughs rude urchins played, where matrons, round the laughing maid, pressed the long grass beneath. And here they doubtless shard an equal cheer, enjoyed the feast with equal glee, and riced the song of reverie, yet half abashed reserved, and shy, watched till the strangers glided by. Gleaner's Song Dear Ellen, your tales are all plenteously stored, with the joys of some bride, and the wealth of her lord, of her chariots and dresses, and worldly caresses, and servants that fly when she's waited upon, but what can she boast if she weds unbeloved? Can she ever feel the joy that one morning I proved, when I put on my new gown and waited for John? These fields, my dear Ellen, I knew them of yore, yet to me they ne'er looked so enchanting before, the distant bells ringing, the birds round us singing, for pleasure is pure when affection is won. They told me the troubles and cares of a wife, but I loved him, and that was the pride of my life, when I put on my new gown and waited for John. He shouted and ran, as he leapt from the stile, and what in my bosom was passing the while. For love knows the blessing of ardent caressing, when virtue inspires us, and doubts are all gone. The sunshine of fortune you say is divine, true love and the sunshine of nature were mine, when I put on my new gown and waited for John. Never could spot be suited less to bear memorials of distress. None, cries the sage, more fit is found, they strike at once a double wound. Humiliation bids you sigh, and think of immortality. Close on the bank, and half o'ergrown, beneath a dark wood soimbrous frown, a monumental stone appears, of one who in his blooming years, while bathing spurned the grassy shore, and sunk, midst friends, to rise no more, by parents witnessed, hark, their shrieks. The dreadful language horror speaks. But why in verse attempt to tell that tale the stone records so well, eh? Footnote A. Inscription on the side towards the water. Sacred to the memory of John Whitehead War, 
who perished near this spot, whilst bathing in the river Wye, in sight of his afflicted parents, brother, and sister, on the 11th of September 1804, in the sixteenth year of his age. God's will be done. Who, in his mercy, hath granted consolation to the parents of the dear departed, in the reflection, that he possessed truth, innocence, filial piety, and fraternal affection, in the highest degree. That, but a few moments before he was called to a better life, he had, with a never-to-be-forgotten piety, joined his family in joyful thanks to his Maker, for the restoration of his mother's health. His parents, in justice to his amiable virtue and excellent disposition, declare that he was void of offense towards them. With humbled hearts they bow to the Almighty's dispensation, trusting, through the mediation of his blessed Son, he will mercifully receive their child he so suddenly took to himself. This monument is here erected to warn parents and others how they trust the deceitful stream, and particularly to exhort them to learn and observe the directions of the humane society for the recovery of persons apparently drowned. Alas! It is with the extremest sorrow here commemorated, what anguish is felt from a want of this knowledge. The lamented swam very well, was endowed with great bodily strength and activity, and possibly, had proper application been used, might have been saved from his untimely fate. He was born at Oporto, in the kingdom of Portugal, on the 14th of February 1789, third son of James War, of London, and of the county of Somerset, merchant, and Eleanor, daughter of Thomas Gregg, of Belfast, E.S.Q. Passenger, whoever thou art, spare this tomb. It is erected for the benefit of the surviving, being but a poor record of the grief of those who witnessed the sad occasion of it. God preserve you and yours from such calamity. May you not require their assistance. But if you should, the apparatus— with directions for the application by the Humane Society, for the saving of persons apparently drowned, are lodged at the Church of Coldwell. On the opposite side is inscribed, It is with gratitude acknowledged by the parents of the deceased that permission was gratuitously, and most obligingly, granted for the erection of this monument by William Vaughan, E.S.Q. of Courtfield. Nothing could damp th awaken joy, not e'en thy fate, ingenuous boy, the great, the grand of nature strove to lift our hearts to life and love. Hail! Coldwell rocks, frown, frown away, thrust from your woods your shafts of gray, fall not to crush our mortal pride or stop the stream on which we glide. Our lives are short, our joys are few, but giants, what is time to you? Ye who erect, in many a mass, rise from the scarcely dimpled glass that with distinct and mellow glow reflect your monstrous forms below or in clear shoals, in breeze or sun, shake all your shadows into one. Boast ye o'er man in proud disdain, an everlasting silent reign? Bear ye your heads so high in scorn of names that puny man hath borne? Would that the Cambrian bards had here their names carved deep, so deep, so clear, that such as gaily wind along, might shout and cheer them with a song, might rush on wings of bliss away, through fancy's boundless blaze of day. Not nameless quite ye lift your brows, for each the navigator knows, not by King Arthur, or his knights, bard famed in lays, or chief in fights, but former tourists, just as free, though surely not so blessed as we, mark towering Bearcroft's ivy crown, and grave Ansidert's waving gown, and who's that giant by his side? Sergeant Adair, the boatman cried. Strange may it seem, however true, that here, 
where law has not to do, where rules and bonds are set aside by wood, by rock, by stream defied, that here, where nature seems at strife with all that tells of busy life, man should by names be carried still, to Babylon against his will. But how shall memory rehearse, or dictate the untoward verse that truth demands? Could he refuse thy unsought honors, darling muse, he who in idle, happy trim, rode just where friends would carry him? Truth, I obey dot, the generous band, that spread his board and grasped his hand, in native mirth, as here they came, gave a bluff rock his humble name, a yew tree clasps its rugged base, the boatman knows its reverent face, and with his memory and his fee, rests the result that time shall see. Yet e'en if time shall sweep away the fragile whimsies of a day, or travelers rest the dashing oar, to hear the mingled echoes roar, a stranger's triumph, he will feel a joy that death alone can steal. And should he cold indifference feign, and treat such honors with disdain, pretending pride shall not deceive him, good people all, pray don't believe him, in such a spot to leave a name, at least is no opprobrious fame, this rock perhaps uppered his brow, ere human blood began to flow. And let not wandering strangers fear that why is ended there or here, though foliage close, though hills may seem to bar all access to a stream, some airy height he climbs amain, and finds the silver eel again. No fears we formed, no labors counted, yet Simmons yet must be surmounted, a tower of rock that seems to cry, go round about me, neighbor y a dot. Footnote a, this rocky isthmus, perforated at the base, would measure not more than six hundred yards, and its highest point is two thousand feet above the water. If this statement, taken from Cox's history of Monmouthshire, and an excursion down the Y by sea, Heath of Monmouth is correct, its elevation is greater than that of the Penwy Vale, or the Sugar Loaf Hill, near Abergavenny. Yet it has less the appearance of a mountain than the river has that of an excavation. On went the boat, and up the steep her straggling crew began to creep, to gain the ridge, enjoy the view, whether the pure gales of summer blew. The gleaming Y, that circles round her four-mile course, again is found and crouching to the conqueror's pride, bathes his huge cliffs on either side, seen at one glance, when from his brow the eye surveys twin gulfs below. Whence comes thy name? What Simon he, who gained a monument in thee? Perhaps a rude wood-hunter, born peril, and toil, and death, to scorn, or warrior, with his powerful lance, who scowled the cliff to gain a glance, or shepherd lad, or humble swain, who sought for pasture here in vain, or venerable bard, who strove to tune his harp to themes of love, or with a poet's ardent flame, sung to the winds his country's fame. Westward great Doward, stretching wide, upheaves his iron-bowled side, and by his everlasting mound, prescribes th imprisoned rivers bound, and strikes the eye with mountain force. But stranger mark thy rugged course from crag to crag, unwilling, slow, to new where forge that smokes below. Here rushed the keel like lightning by, the helmsman watched with anxious eye, and oars alternate touched the brim, to keep the flying boat in trim. Illustration, new where on the why. Hush! Not a whisper. Oars, be still. Comes that soft sound from yonder hill? Or is it close at hand, so near it scarcely strikes the listening ear? E'en so, for down the green bank fell, an ice-cold stream from Martin's well, bright as young beauty's azure eye, and pure as infant chastity. Each limpid draught, suffused with dew, 
the dipping glasses crystal hue, and as the trembling reached the lip, delight sprung up at every sip. Pure, temperate joys and calm were these. We tossed upon no Indian seas, no savage chiefs, of various hue, came jabbering in the bark canoe our strength to dare, our course to turn, yet boats a South Sea chief would burn, a footnote a, in Caesar's commentaries, mention is made of boats of this description, formed of a raw hide, from whence, perhaps, their name coracle, which were in use among the natives. How little they dreamed of the vastness of modern perfection, and of the naval conflicts of latter days, skulked in the alder shade. Each bore, devoid of keel, or sail, or oar, an upright fisherman, whose eye, with Brahmin-like solemnity, surveyed the surface either way, and cleaved it like a fly at play, and crossways bore a balank pole, to drive the salmon from his hole, then heedful leapt, without parade, on shore, as luck or fancy bade, and o'er his back, in gallant trim, swung the light shell that carried him, then down again his burden threw, and launched his whirling bowl anew displaying, in his bowery station, the infancy of navigation. Soon round us spread the hills and dales, where Geoffrey spun his magic tales, and called them history. The land whence Arthur sprung, and all his band of gallant knights. Sire of romance, who led the fancy's mazy dance, thy tales shall please, thy name still be, when time forgets my verse and me. Low sunk the sun, his evening beam scarce reached us on the tranquil stream, shut from the world, and all its din, nature's own bonds had clossed us in, wood, and deep dell, and rock, and ridge, from smiling Ross to Monmouth Bridge, from morn, till twilight stole away, a long, unclouded, glorious day. End of the first book. The Banks of Wide Book Two Contents of Book Two. Henry V. Morning on the Water. Landoga. Ballad. The Maid of Landoga. Tinton Abbey. Wincliffe. Dot, arrival at Chepstow. Dot, Pursefield. Dot, ballad. Morris of Pursefield. View from Wincliffe. Dot, Chepstow Castle by Moonlight. Book 2. Harry of Monmouth, o'er thy page, great chieftain of a daring age, the stripling soldier burns to see the spot of thy nativity. His ardent fancy can restore thy castle's turrets, now no more. See the tall plumes of victory wave, and call old valor from the grave. Twain the strong bow and point the lance, that pierced the shattered hosts of France, when Europe, in the days of yore, shook at the rampant lion's roar. Ten hours were all we could command, the boat was moored upon the strand, the midnight current, by her side, was stealing down to meet the tide, the wakeful steersman ready lay, to rouse us at the break of day, it came, how soon, and what a sky, to cheer the bounding traveler's eye to make him spurn his couch of rest, to shout upon the river's breast, watching by turns the rosy hue of early cloud, or sparkling dew. These living joys the verse shall tell, Harry, and Monmouth, fare you well. On upland farm, an airy height, swept by the breeze, and clothed in light, the reapers, early from their beds, perhaps were singing o'er our heads. For, stranger, deem not that the eye could hence survey the eastern sky, or mark the streaked horizon's bound, where first the rosy sun wheels round, deep in the gulf beneath were we, whence climbed blue mists o'er rock and tree, a mingling, undulating crowd, that formed the dense or fleecy cloud, slow from the darkened stream upborne, they caught the quickening gales of morn, there bade their parent why good day, and tinged with purple sailed away. 
The Munno joined us all unseen, Troy House, and Beaufort's bowers of green, and nameless prospects, half defined, involved in mist, were left behind. Yet as the boat still onward bore, these ramparts of the eastern shore cowered the high crest to many a sweep, and bade us o'er each minor steep mark the bold Kimmon's sunny brow, that, gleaming o'er our fogs below, lifted a main with giant power, e'en to the clouds his naval tower. 1. Footnote 1. The Kimmon Pavilion, erected in honor of the British admirals, and their unparalleled victories, proclaiming to the morning sky, valor and fame and victory. The air resigned its hazy blue, just as Landoga came in view. Delightful village. One by one, its climbing dwellings caught the sun so bright the scene, the air so clear, young love and joy seemed stationed here, and each with floating banners cried. Stop, friends, you'll meet the slimy tide. Rude fragments, torn, disjointed, wild, high on the Gloucester shore are pilled, no ruined fane, the boast of years, unstained by time the group appears, with foaming wrath, and hideous swell, brought headlong down a woodland dell, when a dark thunderstorm had spread its terrors round the guilty head, when rocks, earthbound, themselves gave way, when crashed the prostrate timbers lay. Oh, it had been a noble sight, crouching beyond the torrent's might, to mark th uprooted victim's bow, the grinding masses dashed below, and hear the long deep peal the while burst over Tintern's roofless pile. Then, as the sun regained his power, when the last breeze from Hawthorne Bower, or Druid Oak, had shook away the raindrops midst the gleaming day, perhaps the sigh of hope returned and love in some chaste bosom burned, and softly trilled the stream along, some rustic maiden's village song. The Maid of Landoga Return, my Llewellyn, the glory that heroes may gain o'er the sea, though nations may feel their invincible steel, by falsehood is tarnished in story. Why tarry, Llewellyn, from me? Thy sails on the fathomless ocean are swelled by the boisterous gale. How rests thy tiered head on the rude rocking bed? While here not a leaf is in motion, and melody reigns in the dale. The mountains of Monmouth invite thee. The why, oh how beautiful here! This woodbine, thine own, hath the cottage o'ergrown. Oh what foreign shore can delight thee? And where is the current so clear? Can lands where false pleasure assails thee, and beauty invites thee to roam? Can the deep orange grove charm with shadows of love? Thy love at Landoga bewails thee. Remember her truth and thy home. Adieu, Landoga, seen most dear. Farewell we bade to Ethel's weir. Round many a point then bore away, till morn was charmed to beauteous day, and forward on the lowland shore silent majestic ruins wore the stamp of holiness. This strand the steersman hailed, and touched the land. Sudden the change, at once to tread the grass-grown mansions of the dead. Awful to feeling, where, immense, rose ruined gray magnificence, the fair wrought shaft all ivy-bound, the towering arch with foliage crowned, that trembles on its brow sublime triumphant o'er the spoils of time. Here, grasping all the eye beheld, thought into mingling anguish swelled, and checked the wild excursive wing, o'er dust or bones of priest or king, or rice some strongbow, a warrior's ghost to shout before his bannered host. Footnote A. They shew here a mutilated figure, which they call the famous Earl Strongbow, but it appears from Cox that he was buried at Gloucester, but all was still dot, the checkered floor shall echo to the step no more, nor airy roof the strain prolong, a vesper chant or choral song. Tintern, thy name shall hence sustain a thousand raptures in my brain, joys, full of soul, all strength, 
all I, that cannot fade, that cannot die. No loitering here, lone walks to steal, welcome the early hunter's meal, for time and tide, stern couple, ran their endless race, and laughed at man, deaf, had we shouted. Turn about? Or, wait a while till we come out. To humor them we checked our pride, and ten cheered hearts stowed side by side, pushed from the shore with currents strong, and, hey for Chepstow, steered along. Amidst the bright expanding day, solemnly deep, dark shadows lay, of that rich foliage, towering o'er where princely abbots dwelt of yore. The mind, with instantaneous glance, beholds his barge of state advance, borne proudly down the ebbing tide, she turns the waving boughs aside, she winds with flowing pendants drayest, and as the current turns southwest, she strikes her oars, where full in view, stupendous Windcliff greets his crew. But fancy, let thy daydreams cease, with fallen greatness be at peace. Enough, for Windcliff still was found to hail us as we doubled round. Bold in primeval strength he stood, his rocky brow, all shagged with wood, o'erlooked his base, where, doubling strong, the inward torrent pours along, then ebbing turns, and turns again, to meet the severn and the main, beneath the dark shade sweeping round, of beetling Pursefield's fairy ground, by buttresses of rock upborne, the rude apostles all unshorn. Long be the slaughtering axe defied, long may they bear their waving pride, tree over tree, bower over bower, in uncurbed nature's wildest power, till Y forgets to wind below, and genial spring to bid them grow. And shall we ever forget the day, when our last chorus died away? When first we hailed, then moored beside rock-founded Chepstow's moldering pride? Where that strange bridge, one, light, trembling, high, strides like a spider o'er the Y. Footnote 1. On my arrival at Chepstow, says Mr. Cox, I walked to the bridge. It was low water, and I looked down on the river ebbing between forty and fifty feet beneath. Six hours after it rose near forty feet, almost reached the floor of the bridge, and flowed upward with great rapidity. The channel in this place being narrow in proportion to the Severn, and confined between perpendicular cliffs, the great rise and fall of the river are peculiarly manifest. When, for the joys the morn had given, our thankful hearts were rise to heave in? Never, that moment shall be dear, while hills can charm, or sunbeams cheer. Paulet, farewell. Thy dashing or shall lull us into peace no more. But where K.Y.R.L. trimmed his infant green, long mayst thou with thy bark be seen, and happy be the hearts that glide through such a scene, with such a guide. The verse of gravel walks that tells, with pebble rocks and molehill swells, may strain descriptions bursting cheeks, and far outrun the goal it seeks. Not so when evening's purpling hours hide us away to purse-field bowers, here no such danger waits delay, sing on, and truth shall lead the way, here sight may range, and hearts may glow, yet shrink from the abyss below, here echoing precipices roar, as youthful ardor shouts before, here a sweet paradise shall rise at once to greet poetic eyes. Then why does he dispel, unkind, the sweet illusion from the mind, that giant, with the goggling eye, who strides in mock sublimity? Giants, identified, may frown, nature and taste would knock them down, blocks that usurp some noble station, as if to curb imagination, that, smiling at the chisel's power, makes better monsters airy hour. Beneath impenetrable green, down midst the hazel stems was seen the turbid stream, with all that passed, the lime-white deck, the gliding mast, or skiff with gazers darting by, 
who raised their hands in ecstasy. Impending cliffs hung overhead, the rock path sounded to the tread, where twisted roots, in many a fold, through moss, disputed room for hold. The stranger thus who steals one hour to trace thy walks from bower to bower, thy noble cliffs, thy wildwood joys, nature's own work that never cloys, who, while reflection bids him roam, exclaims not, Pursefield is my home, can ne'er, with dull unconscious eye, leave them behind without a sigh. Thy tale of truth then, sorrow, tell, of one who bade this home farewell, Morris of Pursefield. Hark, the strains. Hark, tis some Monmouth bard complains. The deeds, the worth, he knew so well, the force of nature bids him tell. Morris of Pursefield. Who was lord of yon beautiful seat, yon woods which are towering so high? Who spread the rich board for the great, yet listened to pity's soft sigh? Who gave alms with a spirit so free? Who succored distress at his door? Our Morris of Pursefield was he, who dwelt in the hearts of the poor. But who e'en of wealth shall make sure, since wealth to misfortune has bowed? Long cherished untainted and pure, the stream of his charity flowed. But all his resources gave way, oh what could his feelings control? What shall curb, in the prosperous day, th excess of a generous soul? He bade an adieu to the town, oh, can I forget the sad day? When I saw the poor widows kneel down, to bless him, to weep, and to pray. Though sorrow was marked in his eye, this trial he manfully bore, then passed o'er the bridge of the Y, to return to his purse field no more. Yet surely another may feel, and poverty still may be fed. I was one who rung out the dumb peal, for to us noble Morris was dead. He had not lost sight of his home, yon domain that so lovely appears, when he heard it, and sunk overcome, he could feel, and he burst into tears. The lessons of prudence have charms, and slighted, may lead to distress. But the man whom benevolence warms, is an angel who lives but to bless. If ever man merited fame, if ever man's failings went free, forgot at the sound of his name, our Morris of Pursefield was he, one. Footnote one. The author is equally indebted to Mr. Cox's county history for this anecdote, as for the greater part of the notes subjoined throughout the journal. Cleft from the summit, who shall say when Windcliffe's other half gave way? Or when the sea waves roaring strong first drove the rock-bound tide along? To studious leisure be resigned, the task that leads the wildered mind from time's first birth throughout the range of nature's everlasting change. Soon from his all-commanding brow, lay Pursefield's rocks and woods below. Back over Monmouth who could trace the wise fantastic mountain race? Before us, sweeping far and wide. Lay outstretched Severn's ocean tide, through whose blue mists, all upward blown, broke the faint lines of heights unknown, and still, though clouds would interpose, the Cotswold promontories rose in dark succession, Stinchcombe's brow, with Berkeley Castle crouched below, and stranger spires on either hand, from Thornbury, on the Gloucester Strand, with black-browed woods, and yellow fields, the boundless wealth that summer yields, detained the eye. That glanked again o'er King Road Anchorage to the main. Or was the bounded view preferred, far, far beneath the spreading herd load as the cowboy strolled along, and cheerily sung his last news song. But cowboy, herd, and tide, and spire, sunk into gloom, the tinge of fire, as westward rolled the setting day, fled like a golden dream away. Then Chepstow's ruined fortress caught the mind's collected store of thought, and seemed, 
with mild but jealous frown, to promise peace, and warn us down. Twas well, for he has much to boast, much still that tells of glories lost, though rolling years have formed the sod, where once the bright-helmed warrior trod from tower to tower, and gazed around, while all beneath him slept profound. E'en on the walls where pocked the brave, high o'er his crumbling turrets waved the rampant seedlings, not a breath passed through their leaves, when, still as death, we stopped to watch the clouds, for night grew splendid with increasing light, till, as time loudly told the hour, gleamed the broad front of Martin's tower, one, footnote one, Henry Martin, whose signature appears upon the death warrant of Charles I, finished his days here in prison. Martin lived to the advanced age of seventy-eight, and died by a stroke of apoplexy, which seized him while he was at dinner in the twentieth year of his confinement. He was buried in the chancel of the parish church at Chepstow. Over his ashes was placed a stone with an inscription, which remained there until one of the succeeding vicars declaring his abhorrence that the monument of a rebel should stand so near the altar, removed the stone into the body of the church. Illustration, Martin's Tower, Chepstow Castle. Bright silvered by the moon dot, then rose the wild notes, sacred to repose. Then the lone owl awoke from rest, stretched his keen talons, plumbed his crest, and from his high embattled station, who did a trembling salutation. Rocks caught the halloo from his tongue, and purse field back the echoes flung triumphant o'er th illustrious dead, their history lost, their glories fled. End of the second book. Book three. Contents of book three. Departure for Raglan. Raglan Castle. Abergavenny. Expedition up the Penwy Vale. Or Sugarloaf Hill. Invocation to the Spirit of Burns. View from the Mountain. Castle of Abergavenny. Departure for Brecon. Pembrokes of Crick Bowell. Trey Tower Castle. Jane Edwards. The Banks of Wye. Book 3. Peace to your white walled cots, ye valas, untainted fly your summer gales. Health, thou from cities loves to roam, O make the Monmouth Hills your home. Great spirits of her bards of yore, while harvests triumph, torrents roar, train her young shepherds, train them high to sing of mountain liberty, give them the harp and modest maid, give them the sacred village shade. Long be Landony, and Lansoy, names that import a rural joy, known to our fathers, when Mayday brushed a whole twelve months' cares away. Oft on the lisping infant's tongue reluctant information hung, till, from a belt of woods full-grown, arose immense thy turrets brown, majestic raglan. Harvests wave where thundering hosts their watchword gave, when cavaliers, with downcast eye, struck the last flag of loyalty, one, footnote one, this castle, with a garrison commanded by the Marquis of Worcester, was the last place of strength which held out for the unfortunate Charles I. Then, left by gallant Worcester's band, to devastation's cruel hand the beauteous fabric bowed, fled all the splendid hours of festival. No smoke ascends, the busy hum is heard no more, no rolling drum, no high-toned clarion sounds alarms, no banner wakes the pride of arms, a. Eh? Footnote a. Eh? These magnificent ruins, including the citadel, occupy a tract of ground not less than one-third of a mile in circumference. In addition to the injury the castle sustained from the parliamentary army, considerable dilapidations have been occasioned by the numerous tenants in the vicinity, who conveyed away the stone and other materials for the construction of farmhouses, barns, and other buildings. No less than twenty-three staircases were taken down by these devastators, 
but the present Duke of Beaufort no sooner succeeded to his estate than he instantly gave orders that not a stone should be moved from its situation, and thus preserve these noble ruins from destruction. History of Monmouthshire, page 148. But ivy, creeping year by year, of growth enormous, triumphs here. Each dark festoon with pride upheaves its glossy wilderness of leaves on sturdy limbs, that, clasping, bow broad o'er the turret's utmost brow, encompassing, by strength alone, in tretwork bars, the sliding stone, that tells how years and storms prevail, and spreads its dust upon the gale. The man who could unmoved survey what ruin, piecemeal, sweeps away, works of the powerful and the brave, all sleeping in the silent grave, unmoved reflect that here were sung carols of joy, by beauty's tongue, is fit, where'er he deigns to roam, and hardly fit, to stay at home. Spent here in peace one solemn hour, midst legends of the yellow tower, truth and tradition's mingled stream, fears start, and superstition's dream, one, footnote one, a village woman, who very officiously pointed out all that she knew respecting the former state of the castle, desired us to remark the descent to a vault, apparently of large dimensions, in which she had heard that no candle would continue burning. And, added she, they say it is because of the damps, but for my part I think, the devil is there, is pregnant with a thousand joys, that distance, place, nor time destroys, that with exhaustless stores supply food for reflection till we die. Onward the rested steeds pursued the cheerful route, with strength renewed, for onward lay the gallant town, whose name old custom hath clipped down, with more of music left than many, so handily to our burgundy. And as the sidelong, sober light left valleys darkened, hills less bright, great Blorange rose to tell his tale, and the dun peak of Penwyvale stood like a sentinel, whose brow scowled on the sleeping world below, yet even sleep itself outspread the mountain paths we meant to tread, midst freshening gales all unconfined, where us broad valley shrinks behind. Joyous the crimson morning rose, as joyous from the night's repose sprung the light heart, the glancing I beheld, amidst the dappled sky, exulting Penwyvale. But how could females climb his gleaming brow, rude toil encountering? How defy the wintry torrent's course, when dry, a rough-scooped bed of stones, or meet the powerful force of August heat. Wheels might assist, could wheels be found adapted to the rugged ground, t'was done, for prudence bade us start with three Welch ponies, and a cart, a red-cheeked mountaineer, a, a wit, full of rough shafts, that sometimes hit, footnote a, the driver, Powell, I believe, occupied a cottage, or small farm, which we passed during the ascent, and where goat's milk was offered for refreshment trudged by their side, and twirled his thong, and cheered his scrambling team along, at ease to mark a scene so fair, and treat their steeds with mountain air, some rode apart, or led before, rock after rock the wheels upbore, the careful driver slowly sped, to many a bow we ducked the head, and heard the wild inviting calls of summer's tinkling waterfalls, in wooded glens below, and still, at every step the sister hill, Blorange, grew greater, half unseen at times from out our bowers of green. That telescopic landscapes made, from the arched windows of its shade, for woodland tracks begirt us round. The veil beyond was fairy ground, that verse can never paint. Above gleamed something like the mound of Jove, but how much let the learned say who take Olympus in their way, gleamed the fair, sunny, cloudless peak that simple strangers ever seek. And are they simple? Hang the dunce who would not doff his cap at once in ecstasy 
when bold and new bursts on his sight a mountain view. Though vast the prospect here became, intensely as the love of fame glowed the strong hope, that strange desire, that deathless wish of climbing higher, where heather clothes his graceful sides, which many a scattered rock divides, bleached by more years than history knows, MOV'd by no power but melting snows, or gushing springs, that wash away th embedded earth that forms their stay. The heart distends, the whole frame feels aware, inaccessible to wheels, the utmost storm-worn summit spreads its rocks grotesque, its downy beds, here no false feeling sense belies, man lifts the weary foot, and sighs, laughter is dumb, hilarity forsakes at once th astonished eye, e in the clossed lip, half useless groan, drops but a word. Look down, look down. Good heaven s. Must scenes like these expand, scenes so magnificently grand, and millions breathe, and pass away, unblessed, throughout their little day, with one short glimpse? By place confined, shall many an anxious ardent mind, sworn to the muses, cower its pride doomed but to sing with pinions tied? Spirit of Burns, the daring child of glorious freedom, rough and wild, how have I wept o'er all thy ills, how blessed thy Caledonian hills! How almost worshipped in my dreams thy mountain haunts, thy classic streams! How burnt with hopeless, aimless fire, to mark thy giant strength aspire in patriot themes! And tunned the while thy Bonnie Dune, or Balak Mile, Spirit of Burns, except the tear that rapture gives thy emiumry here on the bleak mountain top. Here thou thyself had rised the gallant brow of conscious intellect, to twine th imperishable verse of thine, that charms the world. Or can it be, that scenes like these were not to thee? That Scottish hills so far excel, that so deep sinks the Scottish dell, that boasted Penwyvale had been, one, for thy loud northern lyre too mean. Footnote 1, the respective heights of these mountains above the mouth of the Gavany, was taken barometrically by General Roy. Feet the summit of the sugar loaf, 1852 of the Blorange, 1720 of the Skyrid, 1498, broad shouldered Blorange a mere knoll, and Skyrid, let him smile or scowl, a dwarfish bully, vainly proud because he breaks the passing cloud. If even so, thou bard of fame, the consequences rest the same, for, grant that to thy infant sight rose mountains of stupendous height, or grant that Cambrian minstrels taught mid scenes that mock the lowland thought. Grant that old Taliesin flung his thousand raptures, as he sung from huge Plinlimon's awful brow, or Cateridris, captain with snow, such alpine scenes with them, or the well-suited dot, these are Alps to me. Long did we, noble Blorange, gaze on thee, and mark the eddying haze that strove to reach thy level crown, from the rich stream, and smoking town, and oft, old Skyrid, hailed thy name, nor dar deride thy holy fame. 1. Footnote 1. There still remains, on the summit of the Skyrid, or St. Michael's Mount, the foundation of an ancient chapel, to which the inhabitants formerly ascended on Michaelmas Eve, in a kind of pilgrimage. A prodigious cleft, or separation in the hill, tradition says, was caused by the earthquake at the crucifixion, it was therefore termed the Holy Mountain, long followed with untiring ith illumined clouds, that o'er the sky drew their thin veil, and slowly sped, dipping to every mountain's head, dark mingling, fading, wild, and thence, till admiration, in suspense, hung on the verge of sight. Then sprung by thousands known, by thousands sung, feelings that earth and time defy, that cleave to immortality. 
a light gray haze enclosed us round. Some momentary drops were found, borne on the breeze, soon all dispelled. Once more the glorious prospect swelled interminably fair. 1. Again, footnote 1. This hill commands a view of the counties of Radnor, Salop, Brecknock, Glamorgan, Hereford, Worcester, Gloucester, Somerset, and Wilts. Stretched the black mountain's dreary chain. When eastward turned the straining eye, great Mulvern met the cloudless sky. Southward arose th embattled shores, where ocean in his fury roars, and rolls abrupt his fearful tides, far still from Mendip's fern-clad sides, from whose vast range of mingling blue the weary, wandering sight withdrew, o'er fair Glamorgan's woods and downs, o'er glittering streams, and farms, and towns, back to the table rock, that lures o'er old Crickhull's ruined towers. Here perfect stillness reigned, the breath a moment hushed, Twas mimic death. The ear, from all assaults released, as motion, sound, and life had seized. The beetle rarely murmured by, no sheep dog sent his voice so high save when, by chance, far down the steep, crept a live speck, a straggling sheep, yet one lone object, plainly seen, curved slowly, in a line of green, on the brown heath. No demon fell, no wizard foe, with magic spell, to chain the senses, chill the heart. No wizard guided Powell's cart. He of our nectar had the care. All our ambrosia rested there. At leisure, but reluctant still, we joined him by a mountain rill. And there, on springing turf, all seated, Jove's guests were never half so treated. Journeys they had, and feastings many, but never came to Abergany. Lucky escape, the wrangling crew, mischief to cherish, or to brew, was all their sport. And when, in rage, they chose midst warriors to engage. Our chariots of fire, they cried, and dashed the gates of heaven aside, whirled through the air, and foremost stood midst mortal passions, mortal blood, celestial power with earthly mixed, gods by the arrow's point transfixed. Beneath us frowned no deadly war, and Powell's wheels were safer far, as on them, without flame or shield, or bow to twang, or lance to wield, we left the heights of inspiration, and relished a mere mortal station. Our object, not to fire a town, or aid a chief, or knock him down, but safe to sleep from war and sorrow, and drive to Brecknock on the morrow. Heavy and lowering, crowds on crowds, drove adverse hosts of darkening clouds low o'er the vale, and far away, deep gloom o'erspread the rising day. No morning beauties caught the eye, o'er mountain top, or stream, or sky, as round the castle's ruined tower, we mused for many a solemn hour, and half dejected, Half in spleen, computed idly, o'er the scene, how many murders there had de-wide chiefs and their minions, slaves of pride. When perjury in every breath plucked the huge falchion from its sheath, and prompted deeds of ghastly fame, that history's self might blush to name. 1. Footnote 1. In Jones's History of Brecknockshire, the castle of Abergavenny is noticed as having been the scene of the most shocking enormities. At length, through each retreating shower, burst, with a renovating power, light, life, and gladness, instant fled all contemplations on the dead. Who hath not marked, with inward joy, the efforts of the diving boy, and waiting while he disappeared, exulted, trembled, hopped, and feared? Then felt his heart, midst cheering cries, bound with delight to see him rise? Who hath not burnt with rage to see falsehood's vow cant, and supple knee, then hailed, on some courageous brow, the power that works her overthrow, that, swift as lightning, seals her doom, 
with Miscreant vanish, truth is come. So Penwyvale upheaved his brow and left the world of fog below. So Skyrit, smiling, broke his way to glories of the conquering day with matchless grace and giant pride. So Blorange turned the clouds aside and warned us, not a whit too soon, to chase the flying car of noon, where herds and flocks unnumbered fed, where us her wandering mazes led. Here on the mind, with powerful sway, pressed the bright joys of yesterday. For still, though doom no more tea inhaled the mountain air of Penwyvale, his broad dark skirting woods o'erhung cottage and farm, where careless sung the laborer, where the gazing steer lowed to the mountains, deep and clear. Slow lessening Blorange, left behind, reluctantly his claims resigned, and stretched his glowing front entire, as forward peeped Crickhole's spire. But no proud castle turrets gleamed, no warrior earl's gay banner streamed, e'en of thy palace, grief to tell. A tower without a dinner bell, an arch where javelin sentries bowed low to their chief, or fed the crowd, are all that mark where once a train of barons gracked thy rich domain, illustrious Pembroke, one. Drain thy bowl, footnote one, part of the original palace of the powerful earls of Pembroke is still undemolished by time, and caught the nobleness of soul the harp and spurred, indignant blood that prompts to arms and hardihood. To muse upon the days gone by, where desolation meets the eye, is double life, truth, cheaply bought, the nurse of sense, the food of thought, whence judgment, ripened, forms at will, her estimates of good or ill, and brings contrasted scenes to view, and weighs the old rogues with the new, imperious tyrants, gone to dust, with tyrants whom the world hath cursed through modern ages. By what power rose the strong walls of old the tower? Deep in the valley, whose clear rill then stole through wilds, and wanders still through village shades, unstained with gore, where war steeds bathed their hoofs no more. Empires have fallen, armies bled, since yon old wall, with upright head, met the loud tempest. Who can trace when first the rude mass, from its base, stooped in that dreadful form? E'en thou, Jane, with the placid silver brow, know'st not the day, though thou hast seen an hundred, one, springs of cheerful green, footnote one, Jane Edwards, or as she pronounced it, Edwards, a tall, bony, upright woman, leaning both hands on the head of her stick, and in her manners venerably impressive, was then at the age of one hundred. She was living in 1809, then one hundred and two, an hundred winter snows increased that brook, the emblem of thy peace. Most venerable dame! And shall the plunderer, in his gorgeous hall, his fame, with Moloch from prefer, and scorn thy harmless character? Who scarcely hearst of his renown, and never sacked nor burned a town, but should he crave, with coward cries, to be Jane Edwards when he dies, thou wilt he be the conqueror, old lass, so take thy alms, and let us pass. Forth from the calm sequestered shade, once more approaching twilight bade, when, as the sigh of joy arose, and while e'en fancy sought repose, one vast transcendent object sprung, arresting every eye and tongue, strangers, fair brecken, wondering, skin the peaks of thy stupendous van. But how can strangers, chained by time, through floating clouds his summit climb? Another day had almost fled, a clear horizon, glowing red, its promise on all hearts impressed, bright sunny hours, and Sabbath rest. End of the third book. Book four. Contents of book four. The Gare, a Roman station dot, Brunus Castle dot, the Hay dot, funeral song. Mary's Grave. Clifford Castle dot, 
returned by Hereford, Malvern Hills, Cheltenham, and Gloucester, to Dot. Conclusion. Book 4. Tis sweet to hear the soothing chime, and by Thanksgiving measure time, when hard-wrought poverty awhile upheaves the bending back to smile, when servants hail, with boundless glee, the sweets of love and liberty. For guiltless love will ne'er disown the cheerful Sunday's market town, clean, silent, when his powers confessed, and trade's contention lulled to rest. Seldom has worship cheered my soul with such invincible control. It was a bright benignant hour, the song of praise was full of power, and darting from the noonday sky, amidst the tide of harmony, o'er aisle and pillar glancing strong, heaven as radiant light inspired the song. The word of peace, that can disarm care with its own peculiar charm, here flowed a double stream, to cheer the Saxon, one, and the mountaineer, footnote one, divine service is performed alternately in English and Welsh. That they still call us Saxons, need hardly be mentioned. I observe the army to be equally as accommodating as the church, for the posting bills, for recruits, are printed in both languages. Of various stock, of various name, now joined in rights, and joined in fame. Ye who religion's duty teach, what constitutes a Sabbath breach? Is it, when joy the bosom fills, to wander o'er the breezy hills? Is it, to trace around your home the footsteps of imperial Rome? Then guilty, guilty let us plead, who on the cheerful rested steed, in thought absorbed, explored, with care, the wild lanes round the silent gare, one, footnote one, a road must have led from Abergavenny, through the vale of the Usk, northwest to the gare, situated two miles northwest of Brecon, on a gentle eminence, at the conflux of the rivers Esker and Usk. Mr. Wyndham traced parts of walls, which he describes as exactly resembling those at Carleon, and Mr. Lemon found several bricks, bearing the inscription of leg. 2. Average Cox. In addition to the above, it may be acceptable to state that Mr. Price, a very intelligent farmer on the spot, has in his possession several of the above kind of bricks, bearing the same inscription, done, evidently, by stamping the clay, while moist, with an instrument. These have been turned up by the plow, together with several small Roman lamps, where conquering eagles took their stand, where heathen altars stained the land, where soldiers of Augustus pinned, perhaps, for pleasures left behind, and measured, from this lone abode, the new-formed, stony, forest road, back to Carleon's southern train, their barks, their home, beyond the main, still by the van reminded strong of alpine scenes, and mountain song, the olive groves, and cloudless sky, and golden valas of Italy. Illustration, Van Mountain, near Brecknock from the Priory Woods. With us t'was peace, we met no foes, with us far different feelings rose. Still onward inclination bade, the wilds of Mona's druid shade, snout and sublime and stormy brow, his land of Britons stretched below, and Penn and Mars huge crags, that greet the thundering ocean at his feet, were all before us. Hard it proved, to quit a land so dearly loved, forego each bold terrific boast of northern Cambria's giant coast. Friends of the harp and song, forgive the deep regret that, whilst I live, shall dwell upon my heart and tongue, though, joys untasted, themes unsung, another scene, another land, hence shall the homeward verse demand. Yet fancy wove her flowery chain, till, farewell Brecon, left a pain, a pain that travelers may endure, change is their food, and change their cure. 
Yet, oh, how dreamlike, far away, to recollect so bright a day. Dreamlike those scenes the townsmen love, their tumbling usk, their priory grove, viewed while the moon cheered, calmly bright, the freshness of a summer's night. High o'er the town, in morning smiles, the blue van heaved his deep defile, and ranged, like champions for the fight, basking in sunbeams on our right, rose the black mountains, that surround that far-famed spot of holy ground, Lanthony, dear to monkish tale, and still the pride of U.S. Vale. No roadside cottage smoke was seen, or rarely, on the village green no use appeared, in springtide dress, in ardent play, or idleness. Brown weighed the harvest, dale, and slope exulting bore a nation's hope, sheaves rose as far as sight could range, and every mile was but a change of peasants labbering, labbering still, and climbing many a distant hill. Some talked, perhaps, of spring's bright hour, and how they pilled, in Brunless Tower, one, footnote one, the only remaining tower of Brunless Castle now makes an excellent hayloft, and almost every building on the spot is composed of fragments, the full dried hay. Perhaps they told tradition's tales, and taught how old the ruined castle. False or true, they guess it, just as others do. Lone Tower those suffered yet to stand, dilapidation's wasting hand shall tear thy ponrouse walls, to guard the slumbering steed, or fence the yard, or wheels shall grind thy pride away along the turnpike road to hay, where fierce Glendoras rude mountaineers left war's attendants, blood and tears, and spread their terrors many a mile, and shouted round the flaming pile. May heave and preserve our native land from blind ambition's murdering hand, from all the wrongs that can provoke a people's wrath and urge the stroke that shakes the proudest throne. Guard, heaven, the sacred birthright thou hast given, bid justice curb, with strong control, the desperate passions of the soul. Here ivied fragments, lowering, throw broad shadows on the poor below, who, while they rest, and when they die, sleep on the rock-built shores of Y. To tread o'er nameless mounds of earth, to muse upon departed worth, to credit still the poor distressed, for feelings never half expressed, their hopes, their faith, their tender love, faith that sustained, and hope that strove, is sacred joy, to heave a sigh, a debt to poor mortality. Funereal rites are clossed, tis done, seized is the bell, the priest is gone, what then if bust or stone denies to catch the pensive loitrer's eyes, what course can poverty pursue? What can the poor pretend to do? O oh, boast not, quarries, of your store, boast not, O oh man, of wealth or lore, the flowers of nature here shall thrive, affection keep those flowers alive, and they shall strike the melting heart, beyond the utmost power of art, planted on graves, one, their stems entwine, and every blossom is a line, footnote one, to the custom of scattering flowers over the graves of departed friends. David A. P. Gwillem beautifully alludes in one of his odes. O oh, whilst thy season of flowers, and thy tender sprays thick of leaves remain, I will pluck the roses from the brakes, the flowerets of the meads, and gems of the wood, the vivid trefoil, beauties of the ground, and the gaily smiling bloom of the verdant herbs, to be offered to the memory of a chief of fairest fame. Humbly will I lay them on the grave of Iver, on a grave in the churchyard at Hay, or the Hay, as it is commonly spoken, flowers had evidently been planted, but only one solitary sprig of sweet briar had taken root, indelibly impressed, that tense, and more than language comprehends, to teach us, in our solemn hours, that we ourselves are dying flowers. What if a father buried here his earthly hope, his friend most dear, 
his only child. Shall his dim eye at poverty's command be dry? No, he shall muse, and think, and pray, and weep his tedious hours away, or weave the song of woe to tell how dear that child he loved so well. Mary's Grave No child have I left, I must wander alone, no light-hearted Mary to sing as I go, nor loiter to gather bright flowers newly blown, she delighted, sweet maid, in these emblems of woe. Then the stream glided by her, or playfully boiled o'er its rock-bed unceasing, and still it goes free. But her infant life was arrested, unsoiled as the dewdrop when shook by the wing of the bee. Sweet flowers were her treasures, and flowers shall be mine. I bring them from Radnor's green hills to her grave, thus planted in anguish. Oh, let them entwine o'er a heart once as gentle as he van e'er gave. Oh, the glance of her eye, when at mansions of wealth I pointed, suspicious, and warned her of harm. She smilled in content, midst the bloom of her health, and closer and closer still hung on my arm. What boots it to tell of the sense she possessed, the fair buds of promise that Emmy Emery endears? The mild dove, affection, was queen of her breast, and I had her love, and her truth, and her tears, she was mine. But she goes to the land of the good, a change which I must, and yet dare not deplore. I'll bear the rude shock like the oak of the wood, but the green hills of Radnor will charm me no more. Ruins of greatness, all farewell. No Chepstows here, no raglands tell, by mound, or foss, or mighty tower, achievements high in hall or bower, or give to fancy's vivid eye the helms and plumes of chivalry. Clifford has fallen, our sublime, mere fragments wrestle still with time, yet as they perish, sure and slow, and rolling dash the stream below, they raise tradition's glowing scene, the clue of silk, the wrathful queen, and link, in Emmy Emery's firmest bond, the lovelorn tale of Rosamond, one. Footnote one. Clifford Castle is supposed to have been the birthplace of fair Rosamond. How placid, how divinely sweet, the flower-grown brook that, by our feet, winds on a summer's day. E'en where its name no classic honors share, its springs untracked, its course unknown, seaward forever rambling down. Here then, how sweet, pellucid, chaste, t'was this bright current bade us taste the fullness of its joy. Glide still, enchantress of Plinlimon Hill, meandering why? Still let me dream, in raptures, o'er thy infant stream, for could th immortal soul forego its cumbrous load of earthly woe, and clothe itself in fairy guise too small, too pure, for human eyes, blithe would we seek thy utmost spring, where mountain larks first try the wing, there, at the crimson dawn of day, launch a scooped leaf, and sail away, stretched at our ease, or crouched below, or climb the green transparent prow, stooping where off the blue bell sips the passing stream, and shakes, and dips, and when the heifer came to drink, quick from the gale our bark would shrink, and huddle down amidst the brawl of many a five-inch waterfall, till the expanse should fairly give the bowering hazel room to live, and as each swelling junction came, to form a rivlet worth a name, we'd dart beneath, or brush away long beaded webs, that else might stay our silent course, in haste retreat, where whirlpools near the bulrush meet. We'll round the ox of monstrous size, and count below his. Shadowy flies, and sport amidst the throng, and when we met the barks of giant men, avoid their oars still undescried, and mock their overbearing pride, then vanish by some magic spell, and shout, Delicious why farewell! T'was noon, when o'er thy mountain stream, 
the carriage rolled, each powerful gleam struck on thy surface, where, below, spread the deep heaven's azure glow, and waterflowers, a mingling crowd, waved in the dazzling silver cloud. Again farewell. The treat is o'er, for me shall Cambria smile no more, yet truths shall still the song sustain, and touch the springs of joy again. Hail! Land of Sidder, Valas of Health! Redundant fruitage, rural wealth, here, did Pomona still retain, her influence o'er a British plain, might temples rise, spring blossoms fly, round the capricious deity, or autumn sacrifices bound, by myriads, o'er the hallowed ground, and deep libations still renew the fervors of her dancing crew. Land of delight! Let Emiamri strive to keep thy flying scenes alive, thy grey-limbed orchards, scattering wide their treasures by the highway side, thy half-hid cottages, that showed the dark green moss, the resting bough, at broken panes, that taps and flies, illumes and shades the maiden's eyes at daybreak, and with whispered joy, wakes the light-hearted shepherd boy, these, with thy noble woods and dells, the hazel copse, the village bells, charmed more the passing sultry hours than Hereford, with all her towers. Sweet was the rest, with welcome cheer, but a far nobler scene was near, and when the morrow's noon had spread, o'er orchard stores, the deepening red, behind us rose the billowy cloud, that dims the air to city crowd. And deem not that, where Sidder reigns the beverage of a thousand plains, malt, and the liberal harvest horn, are all unknown, or laugh to scorn, a spot that all delights might bring, a palace for an eastern king, Canfrome, a, shall from her vaults display John Barleycorn's resistless sway. Footnote a, the noble seat of, Hopton, Eskew which exhibits, in a striking manner, the real old English magnificence and hospitality of the last age. To make the odds of fortune even, up bount the cork of. 77. And sent me back to school, for then, ere yet I learned to wield the pen, the pen that should all crimes assail, the pen that leads to fame, or jail, then steamed the malt, whose spirit bears the frosts and suns of thirty years. Through Ledbury, at decline of day, the wheels that bore us rolled away to cross the Malvern Hills. Twas night, alternate met the weary sight each steep, dark, undulating brow, and workster's gloomy veil below, gloomy no more, when eastward sprung the light that gladdens heart and tongue, when morn glanked o'er the shepherd's bed, and cast her tints of lovely red wide o'er the vast expanding scene, and mixed her hues with mountain green, then, gazing from a height so fair, through miles of unpolluted air, where cultivation triumphs wide, o'er boundless views on every side, thick planted. Towns, where toils ne'er cease, and far-spread silent village peace, as each succeeding pleasure came, the heart acknowledged Malvern's fame. Oft glancing thence to Cambria still, thou yet wert seen, my favorite hill, delightful Penwyvale. Nor shall great Malvern's high imperious call wean me from thee, or turn aside my earliest charm, my heart's strong pride. Boast, Malvern, that thy springs revive the drooping patient, scarce alive, where, as he gathers strength to toil, not e'en thy heights his spirit foil, but nerve him on to bless, to inhale, and triumph in the morning gale, or noon's transcendent glories give the vigorous touch that bids him live. Perhaps e'en now he stops to breathe, surveying the expanse beneath, now climbs again, where keen winds blow, and holds his beaver to his brow, waves to the wreck in his white hand, 
and borrowing fancy's magic wand, schemes over workster's spires away, where sprung the blush of rising day, and eyes, with joy, sweet hagley groves, that taste reveres and virtue loves, and stretched upon thy utmost ridge, marks severance course, and upton bridge, that leads to home, to friends, or wife, and all thy sweets, domestic life, he drops the tear, his bosom glows. That consecrated Avon flows down the blue distant. Vale, to yield its stores by Tewkesbury's deadly field, and feels whatever can inspire, from history's page or poet's fire. Bright Vale of Severn, shall the song that wildly devious roves along, the charms of nature to explore, on history rest, or themes of yore? More joy the thoughts of home supply, short be the glance at days gone by, though gallant Tewkesbury, clean and gay, hath much to tempt the traveller's stay, her noble abbey, with its dead, a powerful claim, a silent dread, sacred as holy virtue springs where rests the dust of chiefs and kings, with his who by foul murder died, the fierce Lancastrian's hope and pride, when brothers' brothers could destroy heroic Margaret's red rose boy. A. Footnote A. Prince Edward, son of Henry VI. Taken prisoner with his mother, Margaret of Anjou, at the Battle of Tewkesbury, and murdered by the Duke of Gloucester, afterwards Richard III. Muse, turn thee from the field of blood, rest to the brave, peace to the good, Avon, with all thy charms, adieu. For Cheltenham mocks thy pilgrim crew, and like a girl in beauty's power, flirts in the fairings of an hour. Queen of the Valley. Soon behind gleam thy bright fanes, in sun and wind, fair Gloucester. Though thy fabric stands, the boast of Severn's winding sands if grandeur beauty, grace, can stay the traveler on his homeward way. There rests the Norman prince who rose in zeal against the Christian's foes, yet doomed at home to pine and die, of birthright robbed, and liberty. Foiled was the lance he well could fling, Robert, a, who should have been a king. Footnote a. The eldest son of William the Conqueror was imprisoned eight and twenty years by his own brother. His tide of wrongs he could not stem, his brothers filched his diadem. There sleeps the king who aimed to spurn the daring Scots, at Bannockburn, but turned him back, with humbled fame, and Berkeley's shrieks, B, declare his name. Footnote B. Shrieks of an agonizing king. Cease, cease the lay, the goal is won, but silent memory revels on. Fast cloths the day, the last bright hour, the setting sun, on Dusley Tower, welcomed us home, and forward bade, to Yuli Valley's peaceful shade. Who so unfeeling, who so bold, to judge that fiction's idly told, deform the verse that only tries to consecrate realities? If e'er th unworthy thought should come, let strong conviction strike them dumb. Go to the proof, your steed prepare, drink nature's cup, the rapture share. If dull you find your devious course, your tour is useless, sell your horse. Ye who, engulfed in trade, endure what gold alone can never cure, the constant sigh for scenes of peace. From the world's trammels free release, wait not, for reason's sake attend, wait not in chains till time shall mend, till the clear voice, grown hoarse and gruff, cries, Now I'll go, I'm rich enough. Youth, and the prime of manhood, seize, steal ten days' absence, ten days' ease, bid ledgers from your minds depart, let M.E.M.R.E.'s treasures cheer the heart, and when your children round you, grow, with opening charms and manly brow, talk of the why as some old dream, Call it the wild, the wizard's dream. Sink in your broad armchair to rest, and youth shall smile to see you blessed. Artists, 
betimes your powers employ, and take the pilgrimage of joy. The eye of genius may behold a thousand beauties here untold, rock, that defies the winter's storm, wood, in its most imposing form, that climbs the mountain, bows below, where deep th unsullied waters flow. Here Gilpin's eye transported scan views by no tricks of fancy planned, gray here, upon the stream reclined, stored with delight his ardent mind. But let the vacant trifle stray from thy enchantments far away, for should, from fashion's rainbow train, the idle and the vicious vein, in sacrilege presume to move through these dear scenes of peace and love, the spirit of the stream would rise in wrathful mood, and tenfold sighs, and nobly guard his cold well spring, and bid his inmost caverns ring, loud thundering on the giddy crew. My stream was never meant for you, but ye, to nobler feelings born, whose sense and nature dare not scorn. Glide gaily on, and ye shall find the blessed serenity of mind that springs from silence, or shall raise the hand, the eye, the voice of praise. Live then, sweet stream, and henceforth be the darling of posterity, lob for thyself, forever dear, like beauty's smile and virtue's tear, till time his striding race give o'er, and verse itself shall charm no more. The End